The Inroad to Gen Con, a series of short podcasts reflecting on the people, events, and experiences of Gen Con 2014 from our Inroads team. Episode 3, The People We Met Along the Way. So there's been a lot of talk already across the first two episodes of this little mini-series about Gen Con, about the people that we've met. Now, a lot of these were just random conversations, random people that, that popped in the booth or guys that I met in the aisleways of the dealer hall. But there were a couple of times that I intentionally went out to talk to people about gaming, about faith, about you know life in general, like you do at a convention hall. And in those instances, they ranged, and you're going to see that in this last episode. The, the first time... The first people you're going to hear from are going to be people that are just talking about the games that they brought. And there were a couple of them. I didn't get a chance to do a lot of these interviews because I was was busy talking with people about other stuff. But there were a couple different ones that I wanted you to see, and that'll be the first section. From that, we're going to move on because the minute I found out that the Dark Dungeons movie was going to be released at Gen Con, I knew that I had to talk with the guys at Zombie Orpheus who, who made the movie. And particularly, this gave me the opportunity to get to know Chris Odie, who is a fantastic guy. And if you're listening to this and you're in his church, shake that man's hand and be thankful that you have him as your pastor. Because he's just a a fantastic guy, and we're going to have a particular interview with him. And then from that, we're going to get Chris again onto, onto this podcast, because we're going to have the panel. Now, it is highly edited for content. Because the panel itself lasted for an hour and a half. And while this episode is going to be on normal GSP time, I I wanted to make sure that that we respected you guys and your time listening to us. So I've cut that down to about a half hour worth of time. I think I've trimmed it down to just the, the really, really good stuff. Sadly, that meant that a lot of the questions got edited out. But we hope that you guys are going to really like the content that that remains in that panel. So, that being said, I want to introduce some of the game companies that I talked to. And the first of these would be the folks at Peaceable Kingdom. And Peaceable Kingdom are our neighbors. They were the people who literally had the booth next to us. And you know what? I'm just going to get this started because it explains a lot about them. These, these two lovely ladies were showing kids games all four days... And you need to, to get to know these people. All right, I'm here with the folks at Peaceable Kingdom, and they are actually our next door neighbors here at the con. And we are absolutely in love with this giant—I can't even describe it—this giant orange fuzzy guy called the Woozle. All right, so tell me a little bit about Feed the Woozle and all the other games that you guys have here at the con. Absolutely. So Feed the Woozle is one of our preschool skill builder games, and so it's designed for kids ages three to six. And the game really grows with the child. So uh, if you're a three-year-old, you can be playing with your six-year-old brother or sister, and they're both playing at their own appropriate age level. So Feed the Woozle, the object is we are trying to feed him 12 silly snacks, and they are really gross. He likes to eat things like hairy pickles, fuzzy donuts, iced garlic. Booger chili is my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I like feathery taco. I mean, he has very weird sensibilities in terms of what he likes to eat. So the object is, is that we are trying to feed him those silly snacks, and every time we successfully give him a snack, we get a token. We get 12 tokens, and we win. And so um, youngest kids, they just roll the dice and put the appropriate number of snacks on their spoon, and they just have to walk over from about 10 feet away and 
and put the snacks in the woozle's mouth. So the woozle, uh, you guys can't see him, but he's got a little big cutout mouth. So for kids who are, uh, you know, in that four to five range, they incorporate an action. So they'll put the snacks on their spoon and then they spin the spinner. So they've got to do something tricky like hula dance or they've got a bunny hop or they've got to walk backwards. And they've got to do all of that without dropping the snacks on the floor because if they fall on the floor, they have to stay there during the game. And the oldest kids do all the same things except they've got their eyes closed. They really have to depend on their teammate to tell them, okay, step right, step left. Okay, move your spoon up, down. And so... Once we've successfully given our hungry friend here uh, 12 snacks, we win as a team. Because it's all cooperative games. That's what we do. So you guys focus on a lot of the younger kids. And uh, I, I, well, one more game here that I want you to talk about, because I think, I think our, our listeners are going to really get a kick out of it, is the race, race to the treasure. Yes. I will say it eventually. You guys are talking about how it's a green game, and there's, it's really cool. And I, I want to be able to link to this and tell these guys about this. So give the, the short version of that one, too. Sure. But um, yeah, we definitely have focused. I'm just going to do one little plug before I explain it. So uh, Peaceable Kingdom has been doing games since 2011, and we certainly have always focused on games for younger kids. But in the past couple of years, we've come out with three family games. So kids uh, ages eight to adults. So uh, lots of fun there. But Race the Treasure, I always say it's my personal favorite. And it's because the gameplay is different every single time that you play. And the object is that we are trying to build a path from start to finish and we're trying to beat the ogre to the treasure. And so along the way, however, we have to pick up three of these keys. And the way that the game is set up at the beginning, you there's a, there's a grid system here on our game board, and so you roll dice to determine where your keys get placed. That's how it's different every single time. So we just take turns drawing these cards. They've got all different pieces of paths. Some are straight, some are kind of pronged, some are L-shaped, and we have to use the piece that we draw to create this path to pick up these keys and make our way down to the treasure before that stinky ogre gets there. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, thank you guys for talking to us. Uh, check out Peaceable Kingdom. These guys have a whole table full of games, and this isn't even all the stuff they brought with them. Check them out, whether you're looking for a game to play for your little kids to play or to play as a family. Check them out, Peaceable Kingdom. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Now, I know I mentioned it in that little portion of the interview, but we are constantly being asked by parents, what game should I play with my kids? And normally I'm kind of at a loss because I don't have kids myself. Usually the the youngest kid that I'm playing with is, is easily 12 and up. But Peaceable Kingdom, man, their games were fantastic. Uh, I got to, to see several of them, not only the ones that they got interviewed, but other, other games. I came home with two of them, so that lets you know that uh, as I'm expanding my personal collection to have more kids' games, I went to Peaceful Kingdom. Definitely check them out, and I'll be sure to add a link to their site when this post goes live. Now, that was a booth that was right next door to us, our immediate neighbor. Now, there was one other booth that I had to make sure that I got to see, that one required me to fight my way through the incredibly busy dealer hall to push and shove my way down the aisles to get to the Plaid Hat Games booth. It was filled with people playing Dead of Winter. I was drooling. I, you know, there are so many amazing things to see there, including a fully painted, gorgeous set of Mice and Mystics miniatures. But everybody there was talking about Dead of Winter. As much as there are so many other games in Plat Hat's catalog that, that we here at GSP absolutely love, you know, it was Dead of Winter's con. I happened to bump into Isaac Vega, who is one of the designers at Plat Hat, and he was able to talk to me a little bit about that game, the future of the Crossroads system, and what it's like to play a Crossroads game. 
All right, guys, anybody who has heard this podcast over the past three years has heard me talk about how much I'm a huge Plaid Hat fanboy. I'm actually standing here with Isaac from Plaid Hat, and I want to hear a little bit about Dead of Winter and the Crossroads system. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Uh, what's going on in Dead of Winter is that it's kind of a meta what we're calling a meta-cooperative game, and you're taking on the role of survivors that have these secret objectives that they're trying to work for. Now, everybody's trying to go for a main objective as well, so they're working together, but there's all this interesting drama because you all want something different at the same time, too. And there's also the possibility of betrayers, so you don't necessarily trust each other completely. So it's kind of like living in an episode of The Walking Dead where you're seeing, you know, you have all these characters, you don't know what their backstory is, are you don't know who they are but you know that the best way in order to live through this is by working together so what also going on is that you have these crossword cards which are amazing they have these awesome like triggers that you're looking at while another player is taking their turn and if they do the thing that triggers the card you stop them and then you give them the story piece then that story piece gives them two options that they have to decide through so they they're put on the spot they have to go ahead and decide in front of all of the other characters do I do what's best for me or do I do what's best for the colony and it kind of gives you know oh it reveals whether or not their allegiance is with you or not and you know it creates all these interesting dramatic pieces during the game. Now, I've, I've heard on the site that this is actually going to be the first of the Crossroads. I hear there are going to be more themes coming out later. Correct. We had people that pre-ordered the game early um, vote on what they wanted for the next Crossroads game. Lost in Space is what worked. Uh, oh, ended nice. up winning, so we're going to go ahead and move into space with the next Crossroads game. We're also going to be probably doing expansions for Dead of Winter itself. So each Crossroads game will be a standalone game that will go on to possibly different themes. The next Crossroads game isn't necessarily going to be the same mechanics, but it's definitely going to have crossword cards. It's definitely going to have that feeling of, I'm with these people, we have to survive, and there's, there's this thing that we have to do in order to get through it. So as we move on, that's what it's going to be about. All right, thank you so much for talking with us, Isaac. Like I said, we are huge Plaid Hat fanboys. So glad that we could come over here and talk to you guys. No problem, man. I really appreciate you guys coming by and being fans. Now, I, I, I said it in the last episode that I did with Luke. Uh, I'm not, I didn't take home Dead of Winter. It is not because it's not a great game. It, is a, it looks amazing. It is not because I have any doubts of Plaid Hat's spectacular design. It is not because of anything other than the fact that this is a zombie game and zombie games don't come into my house anymore. However, I am desperately... I mean, you, you heard it there in the recording. I am so excited to see what's going to happen with this Crossroads system. I will definitely be picking it up when it comes out in a space theme because that is much more in my wheelhouse. And I'm super excited of everything. I'm, I'm going to throw up a Plat Hat link as well at the end of this not that you guys don't know how to get there if you wanted to already, but I'm going to put it up there anyway because everybody should know how great Plat Hat games are. Now, kind of moving into the the next section of our interviews, I want to toss up J.R. Rawls, who is the writer of Dark Dungeons, and then we're going to move right from J.R. to Chris Odie, who's going to kind of give you the other side of it. J.R. is very much speaking as the guy who wrote this. He is speaking to you as the voice behind Dark Dungeons. Chris, ha acting as the spiritual advisor, uh, is going to kind of give you more of, of the aspect of, of behind the scenes and what it looked like. He's also going to talk more broadly about some of the other projects that Zombie Orpheus had. So I'm just going to just open this up, give you the clip of JR first, and then, like I said, moving right on to Chris. I'm here with the writer of the Dark Dungeons movie, and I'm just wondering, how was the movie received overall? Well, the movie was received very favorably here at Gen Con. You know, 
It was always my intention to show uh, this film about gaming uh, to the audience who most needed to hear the message of this film. And I am really pleased to announce that the message of Dark Dungeons, the movie, shone through loud and clear to this crowd. Well, I definitely was, I was there at the event, and it was definitely received well as far as I can tell. The audience was definitely into the message, and I hope you guys have a lot of success. Thanks very much. Uh, we're having a good amount of success so far. Uh, the movie seems to be spreading throughout the Internet, which we really appreciate, because that's the only way people are going to hear about Dark Dungeons the movie is if the fans and the people who really supported us uh, just post on Facebook, Twitter, uh, all those other social media sites, blogs, wherever, uh, to spread the word that, you know, uh, as this movie shows, role-playing games uh, can lead to real-life magical powers. And uh, as we learned in the Jack Chick comic, oh, once your cleric reaches level 8, uh, you are invited to a witch's coven. And it is important to understand the real power. <laughs> Everyone needs to understand the real power. All right, guys, we are actually sitting here in the back of our lovely booth here. Booth 160 is live and effect at Gen Con. But, uh, Chris, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you guys, how you got hooked up with the Zombie Orpheus, the, Zo the Zoe guys, and uh, kind of how that got started. Uh, yeah, I, I went to college, actually, with a lot of them. And um, we weren't friends in college, but I knew of them. Um, I was connected to a few of them loosely, but not, not in any sort of uh, strong participatory role. Um, when they put together their first uh, student film, uh, Demon Hunters, I remember, I actually remember watching them film one of the final fight scenes from my girlfriend at the time's uh, dorm window. And I remember looking out at these guys in their costumes, you know, doing this thing. And I, I remember looking and turning back to her and saying, wow, look at those dorks. Um, I, why would anyone hang out with them? And, uh, and then here, you know, you flash forward about three years later or so. Uh, she and I had broken up. Um, I had become, through another friend, roommates with uh, Don Early, uh, who is currently the, um, I guess you could say, the general manager of Dead Gentleman Productions. And, um, and then through that connection, I, was, um, I auditioned for a short film we did called Revamping Doyle, uh, which is filmed at about the same time as um, the, the original The Gamers. Um, and during Revamping Doyle, during that audition... Um, I was asked to improvise the role of a psychiatrist giving life advice to a neurotic vampire. Okay, I, I could see you doing that well, yeah. that, that pretty well. <laughs> and, uh, and from that, that actually became the, the, uh, the audition that got me into Dead Gentleman Improv, um, which I was a part of then for the, the three or four years that it was around. Um, and then I became more involved in kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, um, you know, doing some sound work, some Foley work, some uh, production assistant work, and, um, and such. And was, was helping along on several different roles. Had a small part in Dorkness Rising as the, uh, the Herald uh, for the King. And, uh, and then right about then, just as things were really starting to take off, is when I went off to seminary. Um, and so when I, when I left for seminary, I pretty much had to leave the group. I mean, I was no longer physically around. I was very focused on my studies. And, um, and that, that took me out of the state for, uh, for four years for school. And then when I was done and I took my first call, I was still... I was back in Washington, but I was still three and a half, four hours away and really not strongly connected again um, until, until we shot the, uh, the first season of Journey Quest. Um, during the first season, I think I mentioned this in the podcast, yeah. um, during the shooting of the first season of Journey Quest, we actually had a, 
uh, John Moore, the I think he was the props manager uh, for the shoot, uh, had a heart attack and died um, on the first day of shooting. And it happened to be that that first day was, was being shot near my church. Um, and so I ended up going into kind of crisis counselor pastoral care mode um, for the cast and for the crew. And that, to be honest, I mean, that really started to, to, that began the process of getting back involved, I guess you could say, with things. Um, that was, yeah, that was, that was the day that Christian Doyle and I became very good friends. Uh, Christian was actually one of the first two to find John, and, um, and so we had some, some heart-to-heart over that. And, uh, and that was one of those, one of those moments, you know, a crisis can really bring people together. And, uh, and, and um, obviously it is, it is horrible that John, that John died like that. Um, and uh, at the same, well, not the same time. This is about to sound awful. I hope you don't use the whole thing. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I do. It is. It was that event and the follow-up to that that really cemented that friendship. Well, I, I, you know, I've had a lot of experiences in my own life, and we've talked to a bunch of people as well. You know, just just because God uses something that's bad, you don't, you know, it, it can sound like we're being really. Yeah, I, 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 sorry, I just totally interrupted you. You're, you can you're fit. fine. You're good. No, I was just going to say, um, yeah, that's, that's actually something I preach on a lot is I, I don't, I don't really fall in the, well, God, you know, did this to test me or God did this to hurt me or God, you know, is, is punishing me when these things happen. I tend to, most of the awful things that happen in life, I tend to see how they can be traced back to just the brokenness of the world we live in, honestly, the, you know, the, the kind of the selfish, selfishness of human nature, uh, or at least of the way that humanity tends to live. And, um, but where I do see God is the way that God is able to use those moments and use people in those moments for good. Um, and, you know, that, that in crisis, um, I think, is where we oftentimes fought, find God um, working most directly to, to move people to, to do the right thing. You know, I think about uh, Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers used to always talk about uh, how his mother had told him, um, I can't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of, you know, in, in times of crisis, look for the helpers. And, you know, and Fred was, um, I don't believe he was ordained as a Presbyterian minister, but I do recall that he went to seminary. Yeah, I think, um, I, think I don't know if he ever served as in, in any kind of official capacity, right, right. but I know he did, he did do a lot of, if, mm-hmm. if he wasn't doing it as a position, he was doing a lot of lay ministry. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, and that's you know, and that's obviously very honorable and very important, uh, you know, a very needed kind of ministry. Um, but yeah, so my, my connection to the group really began as, um, you know, I'd seen, I, well, first as just, <laughs> my connection to the group began as just blatant judgment. Um, <laughs> as so many of them do. I, you know, a lot of the friends that I have right now, I say it was great because they endured my jackass phase of Christianity. And, and we're there to stick around when I actually realize the right way to do this, or at least the closest way I've come to figuring out what the right way to do this is. But yeah, fr- from that, then it transitioned into, um, you know, like I said, living with, with Don and, uh, and then working with Don and with uh, Matt Vansel and Ben Dobbins and Steve Wolbrecht um, and, uh, you know, Matt Shimkus and, and uh, Phil Price and all these other folks, Emily Olson um, on Dead Gentleman Improv and on other various projects that we did. Um, and then now, you know, and then nowadays as things have kind of evolved um, and as the, the group and the company has expanded, um, you know, now getting to work with, with Christian Doyle, with Scott C. Brown and with Brian Lewis and uh, Trin Miller and Connor Marks and, and, you know, just starting to really get to know more of those folks as, as fellow performers and as, and as human beings. And, um, you know, I, I oftentimes find myself serving in kind of an unofficial 
um, mediator or sounding board role, I guess you could say. Um, you know, when you have when you have that many very strong personalities yeah. and very strong creative um, identities, um, you know, it, it, it's helpful when there are people who are willing and able to, to I guess you could say, to step back a little bit and just kind of um, help help the group move forward and not necessarily, uh, if, if I'm going to semi-toot my own horn, I think one of the things I, I really try to bring to the to the company, well actually the companies, since it really is two companies now, uh, with Dead Gentleman and Zombie Orpheus, um, I, I try to bring a, I, I try to bring a sense of um, camaraderie and teamwork and finding ways to, to work together and collaborate, because really that's where it's most fun for all of us, and that's that's why we all do it is because we all we it's 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 enjoyable it's hard work um but it's really enjoyable and really meaningful so now now obviously we've talked about dark dungeons because that that's the newest one that's the the big one that's here at the con uh and and i'm aware of some of the things like i'd watch the gamers beforehand but for somebody who's listening right now who might not know any of the other projects that you guys do maybe do like a, a little short version some of the the pitches for at least some of the projects that you yeah, guys sure. are doing uh, so we have several things that are going on both right now or in the recent past or in the <laughs> upcoming future. Um, in one month, September 16th, we launch House Rules uh, with House Rules with a Z, which is our uh, skewering of reality television. That one sounds um, really interesting. I'm, I'm really excited about it. this. It's, it's a reality show in a reality show with tear gas. <laughs> and, uh, the, and the idea there is that we, we filmed it several years back, um, bringing together our own improv troupe and uh, several improvisers from other groups. Um, every, literally every person in that in that cast was an experienced improviser um, in the area, except for my wife, um, who, when we cast her, um, I refused to vote because I, <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't want to be biased. But it was great because during the auditions, um, the rest of the team all said, "No, we have to have Sarah. She was amazing." Nice. And um, so, but yeah, so House Rules is coming out, and that'll be on September sixteenth. Uh, reality show in a reality show where we film the the producers making the show and not getting along um, and the lengths they will go to try and get ratings. Um, We have the Demon Hunters RPG coming out, the Kickstarter for that in a month on the same day, um, set in the Demon Hunters universe, which was the first, I guess you could say, property or product line that we really worked with in film. Um, We just won the Gen Con uh, Best in Show for the Gamers Hands of Fate. Uh, we just found that out a little bit ago, uh, so that's really exciting. And um, we have that, you know, available as well. We have the gamers, humans, and households, which is basically the inverted view of the gamers, um, where the fantasy characters, what we would call the fantasy characters, are playing um, the real world that we live in as their fantasy world. And uh, and the DM of that may or may not be Gary from the gamers, and I'll, I'll leave that for you to figure out. Um, but you know the the truth is that my my Harold character shows up again in that show, so that that might be a hint to the audience that there's a connection going on. Uh, and we also have Natural One, which is kind of a cyberpunk take on the gamers. Um, what else? Obviously, Dark Dungeons. Um, we have what we write, like to refer to as the Super Secret Project uh, that a small group of us have been working on, and uh, we're going to announce details about that at ZoeCon. Uh, which is a small convention that we do, I believe it's going to be in November um, in the Seattle area, and that'll be 
Um, uh, notices about that will be on the website and through our email list and things like that. Yeah, and uh, just to make sure, because you know, hopefully, you know, I know we've got people that are listening that are out there. Mm-hmm. But in case we don't, what what is the website so that other people can check oh, it, check that out? Absolutely, there's zombieorpheus.com as well as deadgentleman.com, um, and then you can also just look up Zombie Orpheus or Dead Gentleman on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, things like that. Um, the two companies are separate, but do a lot of work together, and um, and they and, and there's frankly they're stronger for that. Um, you know, it's it's yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of times, you know, especially with the Dark Dungeons movie, a lot of people who would listen to us, a lot of people who come to our site, and even even some of the people who we've been you know going on Twitter say because Derek and I were at the the premiere and we 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 both kind of tweeted on it and we said. Uh, one thing that we'll definitely say about the movie is that it is true to the source material. Yes. Yes. And, and a number of people retweeted both of us and said, is that a good thing? So we know, the fact, we know for a fact that a lot of people are wondering what you know, this movie, you know, what, what the future holds for this movie and what the plan is. So rather than you know, who's going to know, I mean, you can't know what's going to happen with this movie, but kind of if you had your way of it, what do you hope this movie is going to accomplish? Um, you know, I think on, on some base level, I really just hope that it is enjoyable for um, the audience who appreciates it. Do um, you like how I used really general words there? Yeah, uh, we, we were talking to, to JR the other day, and, and, and we both were, were wielding the, the, the generalities like champs. I mean, to be really candid, I think for, for very good reasons, it's very important to JR to um, be consistent in making sure people understand that it is not a satire, it is not um, mocking, uh, you know, the, the tract or Jack Chick or anything like that. How, how did you say it? It's, you know, it's not a satire? It, it, is not, it is not satire, but I would say given the response of the gaming community to it, um, if you look up the dictionary definition of irony, <laughs> it is definitely ironic um, how it has been responded to. You know, I've, I've still, we've, we've heard a couple folks, you know, even at the con who have expressed misgivings about it. Um, I know some of that came up at the panel yesterday um, and afterward, but truthfully, um, I, I've been very open. I feel obliged as the as a pastor and as the religious consultant on the picture um, to be very clear that I do not ascribe to this theology at all. Um, I also have been very clear that I felt it was important if we were going to do this, we needed to keep it true to you know what what the track says because whether we like it or not this is part of our history right exactly exactly and and it would be it would be disingenuous to try and it would it'd be disingenuous to, to make things up you know if, if we're going to do this the way to do it is to let it speak for itself and um and so having having said that i think that anyone who watches it it clearly speaks for itself um and i would i would encourage anyone who's concerned about it to definitely watch it or even just watch parts of it um, because it's, um, oh, it's very distinct. <laughs> <laughs> I think distinct is a very accurate word for that. <laughs> All right, uh, Chris, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? I know you probably have to get back to your booth before we get closed up here. Um, I, you know, I wish I had something really funny and, and smart <laughs> to say right at the end here. Um, no, this is, it's been good to, uh, to meet you guys. I've enjoyed talking to you and talking to Derek. And, um, you know, making those connections. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next year. Um, you know, wh- from the beginning, I think wh- whether or not it's been intentional, certain themes and ideas oftentimes have come up in our work. 
Um, you know, when you look at the, especially the, the group that originally founded Dead Gentleman Productions, which is where so much of this was born out of, um, you're talking about a group of friends who met at a, you know, at a, at a Christian college, at a, at a Lutheran university in Tacoma, Washington, um, you know, at Pacific Lutheran University. And amongst that group, you've got several people who are pastor's kids, who are, who have now gone to seminary. Um, you have people who, um, you know, who work in churches, who are church musicians, who are the children of church musicians. And that's not to say that we have necessarily tried to deliberately interject um, Christian morals or messages into, into the pieces, into the work. Um, but I do think that there has always been a strong, um, a strong need whenever possible to not just do you know, slapstick comedy, but to find ways to, to, to shed light, to um, sometimes, frankly, by pointing out hypocrisy or you know, poking, poking the dragon, so to speak, um, but, but just kind of looking at the world we live in and trying to, trying to present to our audience the possibility um, that there are other ways of relating to each other, that there are other ways of, of working together, and as we talked about at the panel, you know, yesterday, I mean, that, that to me is really a huge part of the Christian message, is that it is about, you know, I always come back to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, you know, or I guess to reverse those around, the Great Commission the Great Commandment, you know, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all that I have commanded you. And then I always come back to in that same section, commanded, well, what's the commandment that he gives? And it's, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Oh, I always mess it up. Heart, soul, mind. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, preachers aren't perfect. Exactly. And, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think, I, I think on some level or another, we've tried very hard to, to have some of that in the work that we do um, and to encourage people to, you know, to accept one another. Um, you know, we're all gamers. Everyone in that company is a gamer. And that's, that's where this stuff comes out of, which means you also have a lot of people who have experienced... Um, feeling like an outsider, feeling like they don't belong. And, you know, if, if you watch some of the... I get a kick at watching... I don't consider myself to be one of, quote, our actors, really. I mean, I've done some side bits, and some of that's about to spike dramatically, but at least for now, I'm not. Yeah, we're, I didn't even notice. Were you in anything in the Dark Dungeons? Um, I'm actually I'm actually one of the people throwing books on the bonfire. If you see, <laughs> if, if you see the guy who's, like, decked out head-to-toe in, like, a rain suit... Um, it's me. Like I'm, I'm standing. I think I was right next to the the preacher, there, or close to it. Um, it was that was weird. I've never done a book burning before. I don't really want to do another one again. <laughs> well, you guys were also saying that that Paizo actually gave you guys books to do that. They did. They did. They supplied a. a you know, we've been friends with them for years. Um, the first Gen Con we ever went to, uh, we were seated next to them at the booth. Okay. And uh, Rob Stewart, uh, who was there at the time. Um, I remember sitting at our booth, and it was right after the gamers had come out, and uh, and we had just gotten our booth set up, and we were we were all scared to death. We had no idea what was going to happen. None of us had been to a con before. Um, you know, we we had this we had like a TV and a small stack of DVDs and like a little flimsy sign that said the gamers <laughs> or something like that right. or Dead Gentleman Productions, and uh, and at that point it had already kind of picked up some headway in the gaming community, and uh, and Rob knew about it, and so and he'd been to many cons before, and so he. He leaned across the aisle, or he turned to me at the, the thing, and he said, you're, uh, you're Dead Gentleman Productions, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he, and he said, the gamers? And I said, yeah. He said, do you have any idea what you're about to experience? And I <laughs> said, no. What do you mean? And he said, oh, you just wait. You have no idea how big this is. And, uh, and he was right. He was absolutely right. And we were dumbfounded by the fan response. 
But I think you know that 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 sense of um, really you like us is still there, and I don't mean that in like a some weird you know way that we need counseling, um, but <laughs> but like. Um, you know, although I guess I could go do that for people, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean that in the sense that there's still that, you know, if if you watch, you know, Christian Doyle or Connor, uh, you know, Trin, Scott, Brian, et cetera, Nathan, you know, as they're wandering around the con, um, it's really, you know, Jen Page, you you see this tendency to just be so gracious and to really appreciate the fans and to recognize that's one of the things I really take great pleasure and pride in is that the entire the entire gamut of, of, of both companies really understands that none of this is possible without the support that we've been given um, by the people who enjoy the work. And so I, I'm really proud of, regardless of whether those folks are doing it out of um, a Christian upbringing or out of you know a sense of faith or, or whatnot, just the fact that they, they really do a good job of, of practicing that, of practicing grace and hospitality and and of, of just really, really enjoying um, the people. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. All right, man. Thank you so much for, for taking some time out, you know, walking away from the booth and coming to talk to us. It's so great that you had, we had you on the panel. Yeah, well, and, you for letting me do that. And Derek and I, we both, we sp- you know, last night we were just kind of chilling at the hotel room going, man, it's so great that we got to meet Chris Odie, and, and we really hope to do a little bit more with you in the future especially here at gen con i I, uh, I can't say much about it yet until zoe con but there is another project coming up that you guys will probably be very interested in all right so definitely be checking out uh zoe and the, the dead gentleman and pretty much everything these guys put out and uh we'll hopefully be giving you more of this next year sounds good it was really good to talk to chris to get that behind the scenes kind of look at the making of that movie because that movie has a lot of bad vibes going on with it. There's a lot of bad memories that are attached to it because there's a lot of people who lived through that that moral panic, that time frame when people thought that the, the games that, that kids were playing were going to lead them straight to hell. And that it wasn't the case. And I think one of the, the best ways to view this movie that came out in this in this interview and some of the stuff that you're going to hear in the panel in a minute is the idea that this is part of our gaming history. We have to acknowledge the fact that, that as Christians, as gamers, and especially as gamers who are Christians, this is a part of our shared history, and we can't deny its existence. So to kind of wrap this up, we're going to have the, the panel, and I, I cut it down significantly but I think you're still going to appreciate what's going on here in this this last half hour worth of audio here. Uh, you're going to hear Derek White, Chris Odie, and Frank Menser, who was writing a lot of the, the same material in the 80s for TSR and for D&D specifically. And you're going to hit, hear a little bit of the, of the experiences that they've had as people who are, are either directly or indirectly tied to ministry, who are just neck deep in gaming and some of whom actually lived and worked through the moral panic. All right, so starting, I, I feel like I don't even need to do this, but you guys were doing such a good job before we even got started. Starting on the right, I'll go with Derek, the Geek Preacher White. He was your host last year, if you guys were here for last year's panel. Uh, he is a United Methodist preacher. If you come here for, on Sunday for the Sunday service, you will hear him again. If you come by our booth tomorrow, you'll see him dressed like Solomon Cain. And it is impressive. He's been working on it for a while now. Uh, 
Derek, is there anything you want to just jump in about yourself? I'm just glad to be here. For those of you who may just know me a little bit, I pastor two United Methodist churches in Trenton, Tennessee, and I always like to give them a shout-out for granting me the opportunity to come here and be with you guys. Uh, they're very gracious, and the churches I serve are very supportive, and I have gamers and geeks in my church. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the next gentleman I don't think I need to introduce, but I will because it's kind of my job. Frank Menser has been doing this for a long time, gave us the 1983 Red Box, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, yep. Unearthed Arcanum. Did I hear that you did the uh, Temple of Ultimate of uh, Elemental Evil? Yeah, he dumped that one on me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I Finished <laughs> this. I, mean, I was a fan in the 70s. When's it coming out? When's it coming out? And he eventually dumped it on me. So. I think it would be easier for me to say what he hasn't worked on. So, Frank, <laughs> is there anything you want to say before we move on? Gary was very devout, uh, and if anybody caught that his seminar uh, with Derek uh, years back before he passed in 08. Um, oh, so uh, No, it was 08. Oh, yeah. Oh, he passed in 08. He was on right. the panel in 07. Right, right. Um, I know. I was at the funeral. Um, <laughs> I know it was 08. Um, and he never let it get in my face. He never brought it up. It took like three years of, of being a friend of his before he even mentioned it. But you could, I went thinking back after I found out that he was Jehovah's, um, it, a lot of things clicked. You know, it was through his deeds rather than his words. And he kept it out of the workplace. It was a personal matter. But, you know, we got into claims of Satanism and this and that behind the, you know, the D&D stuff of, of the 80s during the boom period. And uh, I knew Gary wasn't weird like that uh, when, when I first got to know him. And it just was further reinforced the longer we were friends for uh, 28 years or so. Well, I'm very thankful that I got to meet this gentleman. I've been emailing him for a while. And last night we actually went to the movie premiere of the Dark Dungeons movie. Not only was it a great film, you should check it out, it's based off of the chick track. Uh, it also allowed me to know how to pronounce your name correctly, because <laughs> on our podcast I blew it. Uh, so this is Chris Odie, and he is one of the producers and the, what, what is the type of the spiritual uh, advisor? Religious consultant. Religious consultant for Zombie Orpheus and the guys who made this movie. So Chris, is there anything you want to say? Um, hi. Uh, yeah, I, I am a Lutheran pastor out near Seattle, Washington. Um, I've been in uh, ordained ministry for about five years now. And um, if any of you have ever seen any of the, uh, I guess is, is relevant, um, anything like the Gamers or uh, Journey Quest or any of the mm-hmm. other stuff that's come out of Dead Gentleman Productions or Zombie Orpheus. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, the, the group that really... The group that the core of that group, way back in the early early days, um, pretty much was a group of friends that came all out of a, uh, a Pacific Lutheran University um, out in Washington State, and um, you know, in that group, without really thinking about it, um, we had several people in that group who were pastors' kids, um, who are church musicians, who were the children of church musicians. Um, in my case, who've gone on to seminary, in a couple of cases, who. Um, went through seminary but decided not to choose ordained ministry um, and it's it's kind of funny to look back on it and realize how much our um, faith system has kind of 
uh, influenced some of the themes mm -hmm. in some of the films, um, sometimes more ob obliquely um, and sometimes much more subtly. So, anywho, Very I'm cool. happy to be here. And I just realized that's not a mic, so I'll try to project mm -hmm. better, too. No problem. <laughs> well, I guess it is technically a mic. It's I, I think you're going to be okay. I'm editing it later, so it's fine. Oh, cool. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll be sure to only leave in the, the make bad it sound part. good. I'll be sure yeah, to, I'll be sure to leave in the bad parts that make you look like a heathen. It's okay. So you, <laughs> you can make it sound like Samuel Jackson, though. That's maybe you're already there. All right. <laughs> so you add the sound effects later. The thund oh, yeah. the thunder rumbling. You know, the when we get rumbling. into border territory. And the, stuff. You know, yeah. the, the beasts coming up from the ground. We'll do that right. later. We'll do that okay. in post. Before we get into the, the moral panic again, I just kind of want to, on on paper, it's the Christianity and Gaming panel. I kind of want to get your guys' take on it. When when we say faith and gaming, where do you think that intersect happens? Like, what does faith and gaming mean to you guys? And <laughs> They all look down here to me first. Yeah. Uh, faith and gaming, uh, honestly, and... Uh, my concept of it has developed and grown over the last seven years since I've been here at Gen Con. But for me, uh, in a culture where we always talk about family values and all of these things, uh, Frank actually helped me develop where I am on my faith in gaming view. For me, faith in gaming, it's essential to sit down and build relationships with other people. Because my faith is an integral part of who I am as a human being. And at the core of my faith is to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Bingo. And so faith and gaming for me is being able to sit down at a table, love other people, build relationships with them, and have a good time. Now, as a pastor, I could go into all the pastoral things. It has opened up opportunities for people to share pains, divorces, uh, heart illnesses, but also talk about getting married and having children. So I get to get involved in people's lives without just being that preacher guy. Uh, I'm just another gamer. And that's what I like. And so faith in gaming that's where it intersects. It intersects in seeing God in your life and in the joy and the fun you're having and you getting to see God in my life in the joy and fun I'm having. And that's where it, it intersects for me. Going just a touch deeper philosophically, um, early on I became fairly well known as a DM in the Philadelphia area in the 70s. In part because I was creating my own stuff, but in part because I was treating everybody in a certain way. Everybody was people. Everybody had their own interests, their own souls, their own flaws. The flaws are what really pop up and get in the way of a lot of relationships. Um, and by keeping consciously in my mind that, yeah, you've got flaws, and I'm not going to exploit those for the game, but neither am I going to bring them out and emphasize them, make you feel like a jerk or something, you know, the, a sensitivity there. Mm. And in the course of the history of the D&D game, we've seen more and more and more rules get piled on to avoid DM abuse. In the beginning, it was an imagination toolkit. Gary didn't even want to produce modules. TSR did not sure. produce the first module for D&D. The idea was, you dream it up, this is just a toolkit. 
to help codify your imagination, the things that you dream up. So they were initially very opposed to selling other people their own dreams. We came up with this great story, you know, and here, buy it, and you can vicariously live our creation. That wasn't the way the game was designed. It was come up with your own creation. So as it turned out, I was plugged right into the spirit of D&D right from day one, creating all my own stuff. That's why they did that. And as we saw more and more rules, more and more problems with game masters looking at it as something they wanted to win over the players, or outlets where they could, oh, I don't like that guy because last week he did thus and so, so I'm going to kill his character, ha-ha. Uh, just outright abuse using the game instead of as a communal social experience that everybody can have fun with, instead a means of attack and retribution and, and this and that. Mm -hmm. You know, all the bad stuff that you can imagine of human nature has come out from game masters without enough guidelines, without enough connection to their faith, if you will, or their belief in people, or the remembering that, wait a minute, these are friends, these are people, and you don't deal with people like that in real life. Why do you do this during the game? You know, whack, just arbitrarily come up with stuff or whatever. You, you know the sort of thing I'm saying here. And I think this showed from my earliest days in gaming my faith in people, in God. It's in these ways, like I say, it's not, I can't put a real fine point on and say, my faith in, in man and in gaming is exhibited by this. It's a combination of all these things. Deep uh, stuff. Uh, something, I guess echoing something that, that has been said, uh, for me, gaming, I have two older siblings. One's about 12 years older and one's about 13 plus years older. So functionally, I was an only child growing up. And for me, gaming, um, you know, video games, yeah, I remember playing board games and setting it up and playing it by myself. Um, you know, not to make you think I was a lonely kid, but it's just I remember doing that. And, um, and for me, gaming became a way to, um, it was always about community, finding other people to play with. And, you know, that still is something that I really enjoy and um, lift up in gaming because I think it's about that kind of collaborative approach. Um, I'm really excited about those you know, collaborative board games that have come out. Um, increasingly, we're seeing video games that are designed that way. Um, you know, just that approach towards um, group problem solving, um, consensus building, finding ways to build teamwork and cooperation. And I guess I would say that I see a lot of that in faith as well. That just that idea of finding, finding a way to support one another and to work together to find, you know, what you're good at this, I'm not as strong in this area, how can we lift each other up? Mm. How can we balance each other? And, um, you know, it's, I, I think that at its best, um, gaming, whatever form you're talking about, is really about that kind of um, creative, collaborative play. Mm. And, uh, and in many ways, um, for me, when faith is actually at its best, you see that kind of creative, collaborative um, experience together. Um, the congregation that I serve um, actually hosts about 30 other groups, including five other churches, um, three Ethiopian, one Korean, and one Latino, um, different flavors of Christianity across the group. And one of the things that we've worked very hard on the last two and a half years since I got there is finding ways to support one another and to go beyond a kind of landlord-tenant relationship into something that is more integrated. Mm. Um, respecting where we are different, respecting 
um, you know, that we have different cultures, different needs, frankly, different languages. We did a joint service in English, Amharic, Spanish, and Korean, which mm. was chaotic, but it was chaotic good. Um, <laughs> chaotic good, yeah. For sure. And, uh, and you know, I think that's, I, but I, when I look at that kind of approach, I see that similarly at the gaming table. I just, I think that it, at its best in both worlds, you have that kind of support for one another. All right. Now we've kind of got you, you guys and where you're coming from and, and where, where your kind of thought process is. I want to move into kind of the overall theme of today, which is talking about the moral panic and, and what that was like, where, you know, what the mindset was that, that kind of birthed that. So I partly want to start this off with Frank because he was making the stuff, but I want to give Chris time to talk about the movie and kind of the process you did about mm -hmm. getting the movie together, why you yeah, guys sure. wanted to do it. And putting that forward. Yeah, um, you know, as I kind of hinted at it earlier, I'm too young to really have experienced it in the same ways that some have. And I also would preface it by saying that anyone who, who was scarred by that or is still scarred by that, um, I think that's awful. And I, I do apologize if, for example, the film um, brings any of that back for anyone. Mm. Um, because if we knew going into it that that was a possibility. <coughs> and it was something that we talked about. Um, and thought and prayed long and hard about. Um, I do remember, I have some memories of that time period, but honestly I remember thinking it seemed really stupid. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I mean even as a kid and as someone who wasn't playing these games, the idea, what I could pick up from the, the few people I knew who did play some form of D&D or, or whatnot, um, the idea that this was somehow you know, uh, corrupting their souls or leading them into dark worlds of actually casting spells or Satanism or whatever just seemed ludicrous to me. And I was probably like eight. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I also, you know, was coming out of a, you know, kind of standard, uh, I guess you would call it mainline Protestant, um, growing up in the Seattle area, obviously, you know, tends to be more liberal. Um, and so I don't know that it was as present in some ways. Um, with the film, going into it, um, the, the, the writer, J.R. Rawls, um, really the inspiration for doing it in the first place came from him. Um, he apparently had been thinking about doing this for years. Um, he, the short version is that he, uh, he won the lottery, um, but just like a thousand bucks. And so he was trying to figure out what to do with it, and he remembered this dream he had had of, of doing the film and doing it straight. So he wrote to Jack Chick to ask if he could do this, and long story short, uh, was given permission uh, without having to pay a cent, um, was just handed permission to do it with the um, stipulation that it be done um, straight, you know, true to the, um, to the original tract. It might be prudent to ask, is anybody not familiar with the Chick tract, Dark Dungeons? Okay. The really short version of it is that you have, um, in the tract itself, I think it's 22 panels, 21. Um, I was cheating. I, I see someone who knows about that in the room. So, um, the uh, the panel follows oh, two. Have it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you could do a dramatic reading if you really yeah. want. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow! It doesn't take long. No, it's quick. Yeah, uh, you have two girls in. Yeah somewhere in the high school, college age or so, um, who are, you know, uh, very devout Christians. Um, eventually they get corrupted by the horrible world of role-playing games. 
Um, they join basically a coven of witches to get the real power to cast spells and whatnot. And um, one of them dies in game, which of course means she is effectively ostracized. So she kills herself because she can't live without her character, because obviously that's how all gamers are. Oy. Um, the surviving uh, friend decides to keep going down that path for a while, and then she has a turn of heart, and she gets saved and reaccepts Jesus and gets exercised, and there's a big book burning at the end, and everybody winds up happy, I guess, um, except for the girl who killed herself. Um, but um, so that's the short version. The film is, um, I guess you could say, a creative uh, elaboration on that. Um, because the track is so short. Um, so the film is expanded to show more um, kind of the story of the relationship, the friendship between these two girls, um, or I guess two, these two young women, um, as they enter college and are introduced into the corrupting world of, the, of RPGs um, in college, which again leads to them joining a coven of witches and partying and, you know, one of them deciding to kill herself. And So anyway, so JR got permission to do this. There was a Kickstarter that was started. Um, a fan of, uh, of Dead Gentleman and Zombie Orpheus um, noticed the Kickstarter and passed note of it along to Ben Dobbins, uh, who is the, uh, the head of Zombie Orpheus. Um, ben, as soon as he got wind of it, said, wow, we, yeah, we should be involved in this if this is going to happen. Um, it, you know, if it's going to happen, let's let's do it right, so to speak. And so he got talk, talking to Jr. Um, that led to bringing in um, a wonderful director, uh, Gabriel uh, Gonda. Gonda, how do you pronounce it? Gonda. There you go. Uh, who's in the room, actually? Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and then Ben, knowing uh, obviously that he had on hand then um, a good friend and film collaborator who was also an ordained pastor said, hey Chris, this is what we're thinking about doing. I really want you involved. Uh, would really like you to come in and help us as we try and put this together. Um, so from the beginning, the intent was to try and stay true to the tone of the, the tract and to, if you will, play it straight. Um, I cannot pretend that the theology in that tract resembles mine other than mentioning Jesus, um, basically. Um, but we thought it was important to play it straight. You know, it was not to mock it, and it was also not to reignite something from the past. It was to say, um, you know, this is a part of our history, I guess you could say, as gamers. Um, and to deny that it occurred doesn't help anybody. Um, and if this opportunity is here, let's see if we can do this in a way that might actually be um, useful in some way. Uh, Frank, especially because you were not only being a part of it, but you were actually creating this stuff, and part of the folks that are kind of pushing back against this kind of talk about what that was like and, and kind of what you did to help kind of shut them, I, I kind of wanted to just say shut them down. Well, let's see. This being the core of what material I had gathered in my head, um, when Ed Bradley did the hatchet job for 60 Minutes uh, interviewing Gary and others, I was in the room. I have leftover tape that they didn't use, okay? Um, in 1981, I did Good Morning California, the TV show. I was out there for a uh, convention in the uh, fall. I think it was around October. 
Uh, and this, of course, came up. I did uh, Speaking Out, a talk show out of Toronto. I think that's long dead by now. But uh, we did a full two hours on screen plus call-ins, etc. And this came up a lot. So, And I went head-to-head with Dr. Thomas Radecki on one of those shows, um, who made a lot of noise at the time, since been arrested for various unrelated things. Throughout the public presentations, I was... For better or worse, they named me as one of the corporate spokesmen for TSR during all this. So I'm ground zero for a lot of this, and hence I'll be glad to take questions on this. And the polling controversy came up, the Egbert uh, vanishing. If you're not familiar with that, James Egbert back in the 70s played the game when it uh, first came out, disappeared into the steam tunnels allegedly in Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the polling case when uh, Pat Polling's son, Bink Polling, uh, suicided, and he was a known D&D player. Oh, my gosh. The obvious flaw is one of causality. Um, one of the points, so my, my main argument was that of causality. In other words, we're talking tautology and, and what words are being used to describe a phenomenon. We're not addressing the core issue and this was the gist of my approach in California and Toronto, various other public things that I've done. When dealing with folks and their beliefs, respect their beliefs and say, this is what I believe, I respect with what you believe, and any responses, any approaches you make do not attack beliefs, but deal with the situation. But that immediately cued for me was um, my, my biggest concern during this, honestly, was never, um, are we going to reignite another moral panic? Are we going to somehow, you know, damage the gaming community with this? My concern from the get-go was, how can we do this in a way that is not going to do the opposite? I was worried about basically taking a giant dump, pardon me, on Christianity. Mm. Um, that, that was my concern from the beginning. And part of that is because I do think that Chick has such a extreme take um, in his tracks. And you know, from the, from the very beginning, you know, when we would talk about it, we were going over the script, especially because the script was going to kind of um, extrapolate from the, the tract and from other tracts because of it, they are so short. Um, that was something that I wanted us to be very mindful of constantly and kept, um, you know, honestly at times pulling back saying, we no, like this this is, we, we can't do that. This is not okay. Um, you know, there was, well, to be honest, I mean, there was, there was a, at one point in the script, there was a moment where... Um, uh, where at the end of the film right now, um, after the, the book burning, um, the lead character is handed this beautiful white Bible um, with you know fancy engraving that the prop person found at a Goodwill. Um, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Never mind. Um, anyway, um, in the original script, when that happened, um, it was accompanied with a line where the, the actress said something like, um, just as she's just before she gets it, she has this had this line where she said something like, "Well, that's the last time I let a book tell me how to lead my life," and then she gets handed the Bible, and and I I read this and I was like, I was like, no, you cannot do that. Like that is one that's not keeping in the in touch with the whole quote unquote play it straight thing, but two that's just flat out insulting. I mean, I I understand the 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 irony you're trying to go for in the script when you do that, but if, if we are really going to be trying to play this... That's a self-indulgent dig yeah, like on the just, part of like, the script, it's a cheap script shot. writer. Yeah. It's a cheap shot. And I said, we, we cannot do this. 
you know, this is not okay right here. Then the other thing, when you talk about the, the different angles, different flavors of faith, that was another thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been many, um, many things have been written about the film so far, both on, on some, in some Christian forums and circles and in some gaming ones and in some that really don't fit in either category. And one in particular that I read that was such a small comment, but it has stuck in my craw ever since I read it. And that was that the, the, the author had said, in talking about the film, she said, um, no persons of faith were involved in making this film. Oh. And, and I was like, mm, bite me. Um, <laughs> bite me. <laughs> Sorry, I, it's been Pretty a much, long con yeah. already. Um, but it was because in her, it, was so, it, it spoke so much about her view of Christianity. Because to her... I, and I'm extrapolating from you know from this article, but to her, what what that says to me is that because it was not being sponsored by a church or by some organization, because there was not some specific theological agenda being pushed, and because obviously that's all religious people can do. Uh-huh. I mean that's you know I mean yeah. that's kind of what's yeah. implied there that is. by saying that, yeah. and it wasn't just that you know that that I was annoyed that hey no I, I mean like I'm here. But, I mean, even some of the other producers, some of the other actors, other crew members, I had so many conversations with people about their faith on that shoot. Honestly, more than I've ever had on any other shoot I've done. And this is not my first one. And obviously part of it was because of my role and part of it was because of the topic. But it was also fascinating to realize that, you know, there there was all of this faith, much of it Christian, in some form or another. But... But to people outside, to, to some people, or at least to this person, outside of that circle, because, because the approach did not fit into her box of what Christianity looks like, well, then it must be basically a secular project. Completely. I mean, right. not, not just secular, but completely divorced from faith. Quote, mm-hmm. no people of faith were involved in making this. Yeah, this ties in straight into my relationship with Gary Gygax because he had very deep faith throughout mm-hmm. his entire life with an organized religion, but he never let it get in the way of other things. Instead, he displayed his faith through his actions. Mm-hmm. And never once did he shove it in my face. And I knew the guy for 28 years. Never came up unless we mutually agreed to talk about that as a topic, in which case, great, we had some very interesting discussions of religion, both organized and pure faith and so forth. One of the first, I, I don't know if any of you have, have heard of the, the web series we did called uh, Journey Quest. Maybe one or two of you have. Anyway, um, check it out. <laughs> you guys can plug stuff, I can plug stuff. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but um, the first day of the first shoot for that show, um, we had a death on set. The, the property master, John Moore, had a heart attack and died before shooting even began. Um, and he was, he was found by a couple of the cast members, um, already dead, and they tried to do CPR on him. Um, I, at the time, was serving a small church out in the southwestern corner of Washington State. Um, my wife and I were, we had uh, been hired to, to, to cater the shoot. Um, and some of the people were going to be staying in town um, at the church and other places. And so I get this call from Ben Dobbins, from the, the executive producer, telling me what has happened. And all of a sudden, I find myself going from caterer into pastoral crisis counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, when the cast and crew got back, I mean, it was, obviously, people were just shocked. I mean, they were, they were beyond stunned. They were, I mean, they were, they were in shock. 
And um, we ended up having, you know, again, all of this conversation and you know, talking to people one-on-ones and in small groups. And we ended up doing a small memorial service for him that night of actually, uh, well, it's technically not a funeral, but uh, a memorial service for him that evening. And I, I spoke at it, but, but I knew in that situation that we had people on the set who, you know, had, again, different, different theological bents, um, some people there who were agnostic, some who were atheists or who are. Um, and and it, was, it was fascinating to get the response afterwards from people about how much they appreciated um, that opportunity to, have, to, to, to reflect on what had happened. And, and I guess the reason I brought it up was just because it was another experience of that diversity of faith in that filmmaking community. And oftentimes that community is seen as um, you know, really secular and heathenistic and, you know, not, not a part of the group, so to speak. And, um, and there were just so many people there who, who had very deep, deeply held um, uh, personal faiths mm -hmm. um, and that I was able then to, to share an experience. Um, but it was another reminder that it's just that it's not just black and white. Now... Were there any questions about my head-to-heads and, and all that back during the turbulent era? Yeah. What about now in the modern, I guess, for lack of a better word, modern church, modern era, is there still issues? Because, uh, sure. for the lack of a better word, I know that the book is a little bit in the past, sort of, kind of, but what about modern, like uh, Mark Piper, who's, uh, you know, Mark, not Mark Piper, but Mark Driscoll, some of the uh, more modern pastors, is there any pushback of, I guess, what you consider the modern church or the modern denomination? Not nearly as much as that turbulent 80s, because D&D was new. You know, it was, oh, there's dragons, there's magic spells, it's got to be bad. You know, look, so, I, so I, it goes. Let me jump in there on that one, sure. Frank. Uh, I have found that whatever draws people's attention is what gets controversial. Uh, especially popular pastors, popular ministers who want to find something. Uh, gaming, we're fortunate, doesn't get, isn't the scapegoat it was in the 80s. But just look a decade ago and look what happened with Harry Potter. Uh, in the 90s, look what happened with Magic the Gathering. Uh, video games become yeah. a scapegoat. It is the nature of celebrity pastors and celebrity ministers to find something controversial right. to sell books to increase congregations and now i'm a pastor here I, i'm telling you like i'm telling you the truth got another pastor over here i'm getting a witness from my well, brother well, and frank, I, frank said yeah. earlier too when you talk about the uh, the easiest way maybe not the easiest but the cheapest way to, to build community is to give them a common target yeah. you know tell mm -hmm. people this is the enemy that's right. this, and especially this is something not just different from you, but this is in opposition to you. This is something against you. This is something either trying to hurt you or hurt your kids or bring you down or, you know, or, or whatnot. And we see that all the time. We see it in religious circles. We see it in political circles. We see it you know, across, in across the world. In gaming circles. In gaming circles, even. As a personal analogy, right now my left heel is screwed up, so I'm in pain a bit. Now, when I'm in pain... Sometimes, now I'm sitting, so I'm cool. But when I'm walking around and a fan comes up, oh, you know, and we want to talk, part of me is, please go away. I hurt. I just want to, you know, I just want an easy solution. I just want to go sit down. 
But I put the smile on my face and I grit my teeth and we go through it for the sake of the fan. Okay, they are expecting things of me, whether it ties into what we used to call noblesse oblige, you know, the duties of the king, stuff like that, not to elevate myself to anything silly like that, but things are expected of me being who I am, and I need to fulfill that role as best I can in venues like this. When people are hurting, and they're looking for how do we make it through next week, and we don't have a chance at digging up the rent, maybe we can get, I mean, when you're on the edge, you're looking for easy answers, a target, somebody to blame. MacGuffin is your excuse for somebody to blame to make it easier so you have a target to be mad at. It makes it a little easier somehow in a personal basis inside. But life doesn't go like that. Life is, life is so much more complex, and faith is more complex than that. So I've seen a little bit of an upsurge in answer to your question of attacks on D&D and other fantasy escapes of all sorts, like you said, Harry Potter, the card games, whatever. We want solution, reasons. First, give us reasons why everything is wrong, and then we'll work on, you know, making it right. Like Gen Con itself, there is a lot more content than can possibly be gone over in podcasts like this. There's so much content that it really needs to just be experienced. So we hope that you guys will come out and see us next year. Uh, we definitely will be at the booth again. We will be talking to people and playing games and just being excited to be a part of this great community that just keeps just keeps growing and growing every year to record numbers. Uh, in two weeks, we'll be back to the same old format. This one has is going to end this little mini-series, and I hope that you guys liked it. If you want to see more coverage like this of different conventions and stuff like that, if there's stuff that you'd want to see more of, stuff that you want to see less of, be sure to get in touch with us. Contact at inroadsministries.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and all the other things. But for now, I'm just going to leave you with the same message that we always leave you with. Always remember that God is the Game Master. And no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.